right, so after you uh, kick it off, we're not supposed to like. Yeah, yeah probably. Like, y'all are doing it because my editing is not going to be doing that much. So you you got to be so confident. Good right. luck. Have fun. So this is yeah. the Music Currency Podcast, um, and we talk about music currency, aka money, what's going on in music, whatever we feel in relation to that. You know, I love to gripe because. And y'all, <laughs> you're in the right place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're That's why friends. I chose all three of you together. I didn't, I didn't want partial gripes. I wanted full force griping. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it, it really started with me thinking about like, I've been in freaking music school for not even that long, especially compared to y'all. And so, <laughs> that's depressing. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Uh, but like, even being in it for this long, I've been like, you know, there's some things that could be changed, could be fixed that are just dumb uh, often that that we run into that aren't really clearly conveyed to anyone at all. <laughs> and yet, like, we expect students to just come in, be okay with it. Anyone, like, the idea of, like, well, if I'm going to be a good musician, a lot of them are like, well, I got to go to school to do it. That was me, mostly because I freaking had no idea what I was doing. And <laughs> <laughs> but they come in, they're like, well, me doing, me coming in with a hip-hop, rock background, me going to <laughs> traditional music school is going to definitely help me become a better musician in those veins. It can, mm -hmm. if you're willing to do all the work yourself, just about. Yes. So, <laughs> so what's the point of the school? What's the point of going to school and doing that? That was something that I've run into numerous times, right? Yeah. Even if I'm a classical musician, like, whew. I'm not saying that classical gigs are becoming fewer and more far between for like everyone and have been for a while. But <laughs> I'm not saying that the opposite's the case either. <laughs> like you gotta be able to know how to hunt. You gotta have opportunities. If I'm here in Lincoln, like gotta find gotta find gigs if I'm just a classical musician and good lord, here in town, I don't know who's paying me to do that. Right. <laughs> do do all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so that's kind of where that came, mm -hmm. where that kind of came to, and so that's kind of we'll just kind of go off of that kind of mindset. Uh, but I suppose I should introduce you guys because I'm the worst at doing that. So says my last <laughs> last episode. So in order from that direction, we got Andrew Janik. He kills at the sax. Yep, it's a sax. I don't know why I paused. Yep. And then <laughs> we, got, we got soon to be teaching up in Greeley. Then we've got. Mr. Chris Leach, who plays the trombone and then keys and then drums. Uh, the best of the three is his drumming, right? Yeah, that's what it is. Um, then we have Greg over here, Call Greg me. Simon, who plays a mean soprano trombone. So that's right. <laughs> that's right. It's, it's unbelievably mean. It's, it, it's mean. Oh it's man, mean. yeah, it's, so mean. It, it bullies you. I think we can say. Yeah. Or flugelhorn yeah. or trumpet, but mostly. His heart. My, my, my heart belongs to the soprano trombone. Yeah. By, by mean, we mean the mathematical average. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got him. Oh my I, God. I'm striving for average on the soprano trombone. We I love mean, it. You know, we love to hear that's it. That's my growth area. Average is bad. So. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, let's, let's kind of chat. There was something that I was thinking about just the other day, because I was talking with Bill about okay. uh, mm -hmm. some about what's like art song because you know I'm a vocalist and we don't know anything most of the time mm -hmm. but like then sometimes we do um, and <laughs> but, <laughs> but I was talking to him and I was like 
why aren't we learning any music that's like you know happening right now, mm-hmm. like at all, like. And it's because I've fallen into jazz so much, which is why I chose three jazz people to support my ideas that some classical things could probably be a little more versatile. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) sure. um, But, like, I was coming in with the idea of saying, like, look, you were taking an art song class, but, like, what's art song? What is even, like, classical music in the first place, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, my position was kind of like that it's old. But that's not entirely (laughs) true. Like... That's not entirely true, <laughs> but like it's so hard to pin down, especially like now. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say that there are clearer boundaries for old music. Like you can say like that's definitely classical music, but like mm-hmm. nowadays, you know, my position is that Mozart is old. Mo- Mozart, Mozart is, is old. old. Yeah, that's yeah, I think we true. can all agree on that yeah, one. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I hope so. But but <laughs> man, I mean, what you're talking about in art song, same thing in like academic jazz, like mm-hmm. oh, because yeah. you. There, there is a process that you need to, you know, learn s- stuff that's now, you know, seven songs that might be 70 years old, um, and they inform you with a skill set, but, like, not all the time, you know, in your lessons are you going to be learning songs written in the last, like, 15 years. Yeah. There's also a huge swath of the jazz world that thinks that the point of a jazz education is to learn how to do, how to master a style that is at this point upwards of 65 years old. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a huge part of the jazz yep. community that thinks that mm-hmm. that's where where the music timed out. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, I think it's it's uh, it's analogous, because I imagine yes. in your art song class, you know, maybe maybe you guys went as far as as Ned Roram or Just maybe... Just about. Yeah, ma- yeah, maybe even Alban Berg. <laughs> and, and, like, that music is older mm-hmm. or, or sorry that music is newer than some of the early charlie parker recordings oh yeah like ned Roram's mm-hmm. big uh big um palindromic song cycle was written in what 1961 something yeah. like that and and that's right around the time that a lot of people estimate that jazz started to die Dying. yep so so coincidence I, I, <laughs> ned Roram destroyed jazz that's, how, that's what i got out of it yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, absolutely. I no. mean, I feel like the 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 forces of conservatism are are always kind of there. Mm-hmm. Not not political conservatism, small yeah. C conservatism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, I, I don't know. I I'll be curious to hear what these guys think about this. My my suspicion is that a lot of people love what they love, mm-hmm. and they want to convince other people to love what they love. And the challenge, I think, for working in music academia is to keep an open mind to the possibility that you can learn to love something else too. Oh yeah. hundred mm-hmm. percent. You know, and, and that's really, really hard when you feel like I don't want to teach an art song class, mm-hmm. you know, partially because if you are working in a tradition in a context like that, you have to feel some responsibility to the canon. Yeah. Um, to the point where I, I can see it becoming crushing. Oh yeah. Really quick. Like you could talk about an Adam Gattel mm-hmm. song cycle in an art song class. Oh yeah. You know, but you still only have eighteen weeks. Oh yeah. So what are you gonna cut? Are you gonna cut Gretchen? Are you gonna cut, you know, Hugo Wolf? Like mm-hmm. what what are you not gonna talk about mm-hmm. so you can talk about what's happening now? Oh yeah. It's tough. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like I've I've been thinking about like even because it's both a lot of work, but I think overall it becomes very beneficial. Like spreading out into like a four year cycle of 
general. Like, these are the people that I would talk about for this art song class. It gets the point across, mm -hmm. get some of the canon, get some of the new stuff. Well, if we do it next year, well, we'll do a slightly different group of people to, to get it going. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the teacher, that's a lot, but also, I mean, like, I'm someone that teaches in that way of like, I just want everyone to be as versatile as they possibly can mm -hmm. and to get like whatever opportunities they can because you'll never learn everything all at once. And especially at school, unless you want to be there for your whole life. Like right. <laughs> you're not like it's not <laughs> like you're not going to necessarily learn it, you know. Well, and I'm a big believer in the idea that, like, by the time you get to higher education, the role of the professor and the role of the student are slightly different. Mm -hmm. And it's less about the transfer of information. It's less about the banking method. Yeah. And and it's a lot more about a shared path of discovery, even mm -hmm. in a classroom setting. Oh, yeah. Um, you have mm -hmm. to design the educational environment to be like that. Like, that's got to be an intentional choice. Oh, yeah. It's not enough. something that happens just because you're in college. Mm -hmm. But like, if you start from that in understanding, then I think it enables you to, to bring some of those things into the classroom in a little bit more empowered and actualized way. Straight up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Going along with like preferences and stuff that reminded me of, uh, I took a great class on my master's, like a jazz styles and analysis thing. Mm -hmm. And you had two big projects and you had to do transcribing a solo before 1960 and after 1960. Oh, cool. Which is mm -hmm. cool, but there are some people who had a very, you know, like, very neat box. They transcribed something from 1959 59. and 1961. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And they're great musicians and, and like, could really do that. Um, I made a point, like, I transcribed Ben Webster and John Ellis. So it was one that was cool. recorded a year before the class and one that was from, like, 1940, mm -hmm. you know? Because in, in my, I don't know, my philosophy's always been, like, you have to understand what came before you, and, like, that doesn't mean just, try, like, way back you have to at least have some understanding of it and do some work there. But if you're ignoring stuff that's happening right now, then, you know, especially if you're in academia, you're yeah. you're doing your students a disservice. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. but, but, yeah, it was just very interesting because it was a room full of just, like, very, very talented musicians. Um, everyone was really great. But there's a people who's like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do my Freddie Hubbard solo, his early Freddie, and then a couple years later, Freddie. You know, <laughs> and it's beautiful music, all the same and, it, and it's done expertly and all that. Mm -hmm. But it's like it kind of defeated the purpose of before 1960, right. after 1960. You know, oh, yeah. stylistic. Here's kind of a question stuff. that I have for both of you guys is um, because this came up when we were talking about that mm. colloquium, and oh, it, yeah. it's also something that we've been we've been chatting about. I think kind of among ourselves, because like presumably, if you're taking that class as a grad student, you're surrounded by people in their mid to late 20s. Mm -hmm. And you're surrounded by aspiring professionals. Like, at what mm -hmm. point does it become the student's job to find their own motivation to stay current? Mm -hmm. Like, at what point is it no longer Bob Lark or whoever's responsibility mm -hmm. to be like, no, you have to be listening to, you know, recordings mm -hmm. that were made in the last 10 years? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a hard line to toe. Yeah. You know? I'm, I'm reminded of you know, even in my limited teaching experience, you know, I'll come across kids who really only want to check out, I don't know, you know, post 2010 music. Right. Mm -hmm. And not even necessarily jazz music, but music of which like improvisation is like a big part. Mm -hmm. Right. And so these kids want to just run really, really fast before they can crawl. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
yeah, at, at what point does it become the student's responsibility? Well, I guess it, it, it kind of depends on the educational environment. It, it depends on the culture of whatever institution you're at. And it depends on if you want to work or not, I guess. Right. <laughs> well, that's that's, I mean, that, that, that's yeah. valid because not everybody yeah. wants to work. Well, not sure. everybody who goes and it's, to yeah. music school I mean, wants to be once, a professional musician. Once mm-hmm. the teacher has, you know, like broadened their horizons, like you know, like you have the kids saying, "I only only want to listen to Snarky Puppy," like, and then you say, "Well, what about Oscar Peterson or something?" Once you've done that and they spent some time there, that is on them. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel you know, like like once the teacher puts it out there, and you might give them reminders and stuff, but like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, as long as you're wherever the student is, if you try and broaden their horizons um, and you give them the tools. Yeah. I don't want to sound like old man, but like there's so much music that's accessible nowadays, you know, it's, <laughs> it's easier oh, yeah. than people talking about going to the record store and wearing out the record. Like, yeah. you know, like what yeah, yeah. I, I think that, you know, once, once if the teacher's doing their job, like once they've given, you know, some good tips of stuff, broad range of stuff to check out, like it's on the student. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess you know, I I, I don't know because this is a, a like a applied podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Like I I feel like it's really easy to say like you should do this because it is good. Mm-hmm. I feel like the end, as I see it, is twofold. Number one, I feel like um, you know you mentioned Freddie Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Um, every town in America has a Freddie Hubbard impersonator at this point. <laughs> um, and and in every town, where in America, are they in Lincoln? <laughs> I am not a Freddie I'm Hubbard. Just I'm, just <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Spoken from modern Fred himself. No, if anything, if anything, I'm a Clifford Brown impersonator, you guys. <laughs> I know. Um, but like you, you know, there there is no audience for for that. You cannot make a living doing just that. Yeah. I tend to think you can make a living playing jazz, but mm. I think, like every other genre, people are hungry for people who sound like themselves and like nobody else. And 100%. the only way you get there is by knowing a ton, a ton, a ton of music. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the one fold. The second fold is, like, I think, like, all of us, um, either now or at some point, have made our living doing a gig that we did not expect that we would be doing. Oh, yeah. um, When we were in music school. You know, whether whether it's a pop gig or a funk gig or a Latin gig or a salsa gig or whatever. Um, You know, there... and, And the only way you make it in in those environments because you can't know all the subtleties of all those things mm-hmm. without some practice. Yeah. Um, the only way you thrive or let alone survive in that survive, let alone thrive in those environments is by developing the ability to listen to the music and understand the nuances of what make it what it is. Mm-hmm. And the only way you develop that ability is by making a point of encountering music that you're unfamiliar with. Oh yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. you have to you have to develop the ability to listen to something objectively, mm-hmm. understand its constituent parts, yeah. and then fit into those constituent parts. Mm-hmm. Um, like to me, that's the value. Yeah. It's both an exercise in self-discovery, but it's also a really, really important part of of developing yourself as a versatile professional. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true whether you're a jazz musician or a classical musician yeah. or something else. And being a versatile like the idea, I think that people often come across is the idea of like, if you're a versatile musician, that means you're way too sp- like you're spread way too thin or whatever the case may yeah. be. Like I, don't, can, I don't buy that. Which is, I, you know, I don't buy that. Yeah. But like <clears throat> people worry about that or something for whatever reason, I think partially because like they're afraid that maybe they'll find something that they like better than what like the teacher or whatever is mm-hmm. like comfortable with, you know, 
But that's when you as a teacher say, I'm glad you found something that you like, you know, like I'm glad you found that spot. Let me give you all the resources I can to help you or, you know, humble myself and say, you need to probably find someone else that can actually help you a little better. Right. People don't want to necessarily do that, right? But those are some of the best teachers, the ones that know how to say, this is a little out of my wheelhouse. Either I'm going to figure it out so I can help you myself, mm -hmm. or I will find people that can help you more directly. I mean, well. I, I also, like, on the other hand, I do mm. get the impulse, like, especially with an instrument like the human voice. Yeah. Because it's a, every human voice is different. It's oh, a yeah. singular instrument. 100%. And I get the idea that if you've spent two years with someone who knows how your larynx and your sinus cavities mm -hmm. work, you don't want to start from scratch with someone else just 100%. because they know yeah. how to sing pop or whatever. Yeah. Like, I do I do get the yeah. idea of staying with one person, yeah. but I, I think you're what you're getting at is then it does become incumbent on the student to mm -hmm. also seek out yeah. the ear and expertise of someone else alongside And also that. for them as a student to be able to like understand how to take in information and assimilate it with what they already know yeah. very well. Like I got real lucky to have in my undergrad two voice teachers for most of my undergrad at the same time. So I would take lessons from one and lessons from another and just go through doing my stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I got in the mindset real quick that either I would destroy my voice trying to contrast everything that they said and do one thing one person said, then do another thing another person said to get to the same result, or I'd figure out what they actually meant and like what their intent was for how I learned my voice and how I developed it, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, at some point or another, because we're always going to change teachers <clears throat> or change influences, we have to develop that skill. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you learn it, the easier it is for you to actually utilize that ability and actually branch out and start listening and start copying, hearing what you need to hear, you know? Yeah, I think one important point of all this is that school is only one part of your education. Oh, yeah. So, mm -hmm. like... Especially in jazz. I especially like. in jazz. But, I mean, if you want to be a versatile working musician in anything, mm -hmm. like... You've got to learn how to learn. You have yeah. to learn how to learn. You have to... You know, checking out other professionals that you admire, like, you know... Um, and it's real easy when you're in the bubble of school, speaking as someone who spent a lot of time in school, like, you know, like, like that you think that everything in the walls of the music building is the end all be all. But like, if you, you know, yeah, yeah. let's say you like something that's a little bit outside of what your curriculum is that you're studying. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you can't go learn a shit ton about it. Yeah. Parental yeah. advisory on this, yeah. I guess. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 You, you just got the magic oh, yeah. key in yeah. front of your yeah, podcast. You're, you're good now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, um, so seeking out, you know, things outside of school to learn really important and is going to help you, you know, yeah. When you come up and you have to sing a pop gig, like, well, maybe you've been checking out someone on the scene who you really admire and oh, yeah. just like by going to shows or even shooting them an email and wanting to get together. Like, yeah. Musicians are human beings, and I've, you know, they're open to that. So, yeah. just like having a holistic view of like what you're learning in music, not just mm -hmm. in school, is probably really important. Well, and the teacher slash parent in me is also like that. Also teaches you how hard it is to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like pop music, I feel like is one of those things that a lot of classical musicians, and I don't have any evidence to support this, but mm -hmm. it's just kind of <laughs> sense I get. Yeah. <laughs> um, like feels to me like one of those mm. things that a lot of classical musicians think is easy. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. While also being impossible for them to do. Mm -hmm. Like, but you know, I feel like I feel like that's kind of like changed, probably like in the mm -hmm. last decade or two. I believe that. Like, I, yeah. I I used to run into a lot of very dogmatic 
classical musicians like yeah. starting out you know when which I was, is to say nothing of jazz musicians because they can be dogmatic about pop too <laughs> <laughs> if not more yeah, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. but I feel like as I've gotten older I've run into more and more classical musicians maybe younger than I am or even a little bit older mm-hmm. you know at somebody in their mid-30s that are that really have a respect for jazz and pop music and know that it's an entirely different skill set mm-hmm. and one mm-hmm. that they are not adept at, you know, yeah. w- only looking to their classical training. Well, that's yeah. good. That's heartening. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Once again, no evidence other than anecdotal yeah. to back that up. But mm-hmm. it just, whenever this kind of discussion comes up, it always, and this might be a little bit jazz dogmatic as well, but I just <laughs> think of the Miles Davis autobiography where he's talking about how, like, everything is just emulating styles. Yeah. And it's just like so relevant here, especially talking about like Miles, somebody who continually reinvented himself yeah. in mm-hmm. the jazz canon that like, that's something that we should be teaching more rather than, you know, yeah. I don't know, learning ladybird. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like that reinvention, like aspect too, because you don't have to do it, you know, like every, like you have your miles people and then you have even like Diz because we're now talking about Miles Davis's autobiography, autobiography, but like where you, where you have someone that was continually reinventing himself, um, where one of his original inspirations, he wasn't doing that, right? Like he was just mm-hmm. staying the same, doing pretty much the same thing. He was taking inspirations, right? And he was developing it in a different way, yeah. you know, in a way that, at first glance, when you compare the two, you're like, well, Miles was like in five, ten, however many different genres or whatever you want to say, right? While still being jazz. Sometimes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right? on, on the other hand, Dizzy was doing Cuban music at exactly. a high level at a time when it was extremely uncool to do anything Cuban. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, like I, I think this gets to the heart of, like, the idea is not to be cutting edge and the mm-hmm. idea is not to mix as many colors as you can oh, yeah. to the point that it gets brown mm-hmm. you know the point the idea is to discover who you are and who you uniquely have the ability to be mm-hmm. and and like that's the end game oh, yeah. and i mean whatever you want to say about miles davis and whatever you want to say about dizzy gillespie i do feel like both of those artists um at any given moment in time, they knew exactly who they were and they knew exactly who they and they alone could be. Because mm-hmm. Miles could never be Dizzy and Dizzy could never be Miles. Oh, you yeah. Know? And also, Clifford Brown could never be Miles. And also, uh, Chet Baker, mm-hmm. try as he might, <laughs> could never be Miles. You oh, know, yeah. like, like the, and, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't bye, about, bye, bye. like, a continuous, I, I don't think anyway, it was about a continuous, conspicuous addition of new influences. I think it yeah. was about Miles finding himself in a different moment and that informing what his self-perception was. So this, oh, yeah. Have you ever seen the YouTube video of Dizzy Gillespie setting in with the Brecker Brothers in the 80s? No. On Song for Barry? No. Mm. So they played and... Can't wait till I can so, just so that up. It, <laughs> as you said, Dizzy knew who he was, so like, it's the, the solo section is basically like red clay changes, you know, mm-hmm. you know and, mm-hmm. and it, it's like if there were like two more passing chords in there, Dizzy would have sounded perfect. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you, know you know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, he had to follow like Michael and Randy Brecker on it, yep. and, and it was and but like he played good stuff, but like he was trying to play his stuff, mm-hmm. and it just sounded a little out of place sometimes. You know, yeah. but, like, playing I, bebop I, over Brecker Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like you, and you can certainly yeah 
do some of that, and they and they mm. did. But like, yeah, it's you know he sounded just like Dizzy Gillespie playing over song for Barry, and it was just really you know with like electric bass and you know guitar player with the hair over his mop over his face, you know that whole mm-hmm. aesthetic. And there's Dizzy up there, and it was really it's a really interesting <laughs> video. Um, um, and but yeah, I mean he was uniquely himself to the end, and it just shows that he was also open to trying stuff. Oh, absolutely, you know, like yeah. get, like just to go on stage with those guys, like you know, like yeah. And Who's he that just, dude? Yeah. Mike. Uh, Mike Stern. Mike yeah. Stern. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Mike Stern. Yeah. Dennis Chambers and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like that. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's from like the early '80s or something. And yeah, they just Dizzy Gillespie was like playing the same festival, and they brought him up to yeah, <laughs> play. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of a anecdote but yeah and i, and I love mm-hmm. the idea that there are like elements of it that work and mm-hmm. elements that don't work yes yep because that's the whole mm-hmm. point right yep, yep. oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's worth checking out it's it's real interesting mm. well i'd put it up but like i physically can't do that no that's just, no, 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 no 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 i just want you to he'll link it in the podcast yeah, yeah, look it up on youtube yeah i'll write you said we like everyone's gonna share a key or something yeah i could talk about this stuff for a long time because like that's like one of my like hobbies is trying to find like really weird combinations of musicians and see how they interact there there were these youtube videos a couple years ago that are gone of like Paul Gonzalez from the Duke Ellington Orchestra playing Windows with Chick Corea. Like, mm. it is some of the most bizarre stuff. <laughs> like, it's it's good, but it's like, wow. Like, mm-hmm. I would never consider, you know. Yeah. And it and what it showed me is like, well, these guys, you know, they get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. I'll be honest with you. That is so much more interesting to me than like another meeting of like five trumpet players trying to all outdo <laughs> each other on stage yeah, yeah. like um, i would so much rather mm-hmm, see mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. gretchen parlato try to throw down with the chicago art ensemble or something <laughs> like that yeah man yeah. you don't want another trumpet summit <laughs> it's only a summit in the sense that they're all trying to get as high as they can <laughs> Screams for yeah, screams for miles. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, and, then, <laughs> and like the the Duke Ellington John Coltrane record, like half half the rhythm section is Duke's rhythm section, and half the tracks, half of it is you know Coltrane's rhythm section. So like, is Duke Ellington and Elvin Jones playing? Mm. You know, <laughs> behind it's, it's that that's some of my favorite stuff. Um, and I, I I do try and show that to students too because it's like. Mm-hmm. These guys, you know, these are like the most accomplished in their fields of, you know, mm-hmm. subset of what they do. Like meeting yeah. up with someone outside of that, yeah. like, and making it work. Like, and they're probably smart enough to know. Like Paul Gonzalez is definitely smart enough to know that, like, he's out of his element mm-hmm. when he's playing with that group, and he goes and he does it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know I derailed it a little <laughs> bit with anecdotes, but I just you know, I, oh no, I love j- it. Jazz anecdotes. <laughs> It's a hangman. That, yeah. That's a completely different podcast that we should get into. Oh, well, y'all can start that. I'll allow it. I've yeah. got another one that I have to start now. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you got to be the guy. Because yeah. yeah. it's my mm-hmm. name. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I was, I was thinking about this, and I love the idea of just like what people are listening to that especially isn't necessarily considered idiomatic to whatever it is that like they're in. Like Because for me, I say it all the time, I'm – most recently I was kind of listening to more like regular, like jazzy kind of vocal stuff. Mm -hmm. But usually I'll be listening to like J pop from the eighties or something, Mm -hmm. or I listened to BTS for like a whole day. The, 
a mm-hmm. week or so ago, mm-hmm. which was very interesting. That's a long day, man. It was a, and I went from <laughs> old BTS first. So like, <laughs> so I was like, what are they actually about? Like, how can I hear their evolution? Couldn't really figure it out because it was one day. Come on now. Right. But, <laughs> but like filling my ear with that kind of stuff or like I've been really onto French pop, uh, this uh, group called L'Imperatrice um, because they, they're so like disco influenced. And especially uh, you can hear a lot of Daft Punk sounds in them. Okay. And so mm-hmm. like as I'm listening to all this kind of stuff, like I'm, I'm taking it in and for me, I go not necessarily consciously, but it's like always in the back background of my mind. Like how do I integrate this into whatever I'm singing, whether it be something classical, which is a diff- just broadening my ear for like stuff that's newer for mm-hmm. sure. Um, or for jazz thinking of lines, which I'm starting out still, so it's like, oh lord, I'm <laughs> half yeah. of this stuff is me just half scatting over just a song, and I'm like, well, this works for me. That's a lifelong and, you know, journey, though. That, oh yeah, that particular thing, straight up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what are you listening to? That's well, we already heard you, Janet. You can... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I talked enough. Someone else talked. Yeah, anything funky that you've been listening to? Anything funky? I mean, not specifically like. I'll, I'll let Greg lead this, one, but. <laughs> All right. Uh, What's the hippest thing you've been listening well, to? Well, so two things come to mind immediately, and I'm gonna I'm gonna resist the temptation to do anything like even jazz adjacent, Ooh, um, nice. because like I I uh, you know confession to make, um, in my spare time I don't spend a ton of time listening to jazz, and I don't spend a ton of time listening to classical music. Um, not because I have anything against listening to those things, but it always kind of feels like work to me. Yeah. So you know, like when I'm listening to music, my my tastes kind of go elsewhere, and. And the two the two things that I've been listening to a lot of right now, uh, one's a newer group out of England called Dry Cleaning, right. um, and they're like this kind of it's it's a post punk act Ooh, that yes. does a lot of like, I mean it's uh their their lead singer doesn't really sing, she's more of like a spoken word artist, Ooh, yes. and and it's super cool. Um, and it, and like, they're just, their lyrics are phenomenal and, and it's a really, I think, interesting approach to the relationship between music and words. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it it constantly keeps me entertained. And also their, their, uh, rhythm section is just super, super hit, uh, just really, really rocking. Um, and then the, uh, the other thing I, I have been listening to a lot, or at least one of the things that's coming to mind right now, um, there's this British, um, I guess you would call him EDM uh, artist called Ochre. Okay. Um, and I think he was trained as a classical composer, actually, but but got into kind of doing, like, um, beat-driven beat stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and his musical ideas are just really warm and beautiful and interesting. But, like, the thing that always kind of fascinates me is he doesn't really use, like... He, he makes beats, but he doesn't really use, like, drum samples. Like what? What he'll do? Like you'll it, it'll feel like a drum beat, mm-hmm. but when you start to like listen into it a little bit deeper, like it's all made of like these animal sounds, electronic <laughs> animal sounds. <laughs> it's like a barnyard in there. No, it's like it's like all these like electronic bleeps and white noise derived mm. things, and it's just like it's so fascinating to me, like the way he he can take these sounds that are non percussive. Mm and make them feel percussive. And again, it's all in the context of this like gorgeous harmonies and really beautiful, I think, melodic ideas. Um, he uses a lot of acoustic instruments. Mm. Like 
one of his albums has harp on almost oh, the entire thing. Sick. It's it's a really really cool approach to electronic. Who's music. this? So Oakley. Oker. O C H R E. Um, oh, I and, think I've heard of them. Yeah, right. he's great, man. Yeah, he's great. Like maybe. Yeah, so those are my two mm. that, that I'm listening to these mm. days. Sick. I would say that, like, I don't know, it's, as somebody who's been in jazz academia for a while, I feel like most of my time over the past, like, 10 years or so has been, or longer, has been just trying to check out as much, like, jazz as I can, whether yeah. that's, like, straight ahead or fusion or whatever. Uh, I mean, Janet can attest, like, I'll be I'll be at work sometimes and just text them, like, hey. What's, what's some stuff I should listen to? What are mm-hmm. you checking out? Mm-hmm. And he's directed me to like Chris Cheek albums and like a bunch of stuff that I would have not checked out otherwise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think like one of the most surprising things I think for myself over the past few years that I've like been checking out a lot is like a lot of new like prog rock stuff. Oh, like, yeah. You guys, you know this at mm-hmm. least. Like I love Chan. Chan. I love mm-hmm. Chan. Yep. I love intervals mm-hmm. i love you got me turned on to intervals and, and i love them oh yeah mm-hmm. i love animals as leaders mm-hmm. uh i love Pliny. yeah yeah Pliny. pliny pliny one yeah. of the pliny yeah <laughs> pliny and uh polyphia or, oh yeah yeah oh well yeah. or or is that is that yeah the name of the band? that is the band i think so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, all yeah. that That's stuff like it is it is kind of like jazz adjacent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least it it kinda has like some, some proper yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's some major seven chords. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> major I, I love major <laughs> seven chords. That's that, that's all it takes. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. 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 It's jazz. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like I think I like I appreciate the the just the I don't know, the musicianship of the yep. musicians. Like it's mm-hmm. it's just killing, man. Their their oh, yeah. their technique and uh, just how everything is just it's arranged like beautifully to me and I think oh, yeah. that's really surprising to me especially because in my in my younger years yeah I could be kind of like dogmatic about like pop music and, mm-hmm. and blah 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 and as I got well, older and had <laughs> hey man yeah Michael Jackson boo uh, who needs Prince <laughs> <laughs> I am just waiting for the full Silk Sonic album oh, because they finally really released oh, yeah. the second Ooh. track. I've mm. listened to that a million times. I've listened to that first one they did to the Super Bowl. Oh yeah! Like, I just am like waiting. What are the yeah. odds they put that out the same day that Andre Three Thousand actually has his own album? Wow! <laughs> what are yeah. the odds? Yeah, this but- is the problem with surprise album culture. Mm. Is like you, you one hundred percent can have something yeah, like yeah. that happen. Yeah. Yes, but I've been listening Everyone's to that. dreams would come true. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Billie Eilish is killing, man. I I really sure. I really enjoy her music and I think mm. and her brother the producer does really really mm-hmm. interesting. I think that you know there's a lot to it. Um and I've been I've enjoyed her new record a lot. Those those are the two like pop adjacent things I've been checking out and then I'm I'm a jazz bro and I'm always listening to it. Like, See, I need to... like obsessively to a yeah. lot of jazz music. Both of mm-hmm. these guys are better at that than I am. Oh. And, and I mean, like, I should be better at that. <laughs> I am not particularly well-versed in what's happening, like, right now in jazz. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I I love when new acts come on my radar, um, but, like, I'm terrible at seeking out new jazz. I love when old acts come on my radar, because that's <laughs> by the time oh, yeah, for sure. they show yeah. up. <laughs> have, you, have you heard about this Fitzgerald cat? 
great. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean too, because like when you're when you're just teaching music all the time yeah. and just like your entire schedule is consumed by trying to I don't know, get people to check out Louis Armstrong or whoever you're, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's exhausting and it's yeah. work. Mm-hmm. And it's like at the end of the day, I mean, oftentimes when I'm driving back from Omaha, like my, my thought process is I should check out this new album. I should listen to this album cover to cover on my way back, yep. but I've just had enough mm-hmm. and I'm going to turn on NPR or I'm going right. to turn on some podcast. You that's just like, don't want to listen to music period. No, yeah. it, it just becomes exhausting. It's it crazy. really does. And it's kind of just kind of like a mental self-preservation thing mm-hmm. really to sometimes not. Especially yeah. cause like so much so. of the time you want to like really get into it and analyze it and know it, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. it's just, like and it's our default more, more often than not. So it's like, oh, I missed mm-hmm. that track. Got to go back. Got to actually hear what's going on in it. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah. whoops. Now I got to hear the whole thing over. Just hear how it sounds put together. All of mm-hmm. that stuff. Like that's a yeah. eight hour on one album. And I and I don't know that it has to be the default setting to mm-hmm. be be that like laser focused on yeah. on on the left brain sort of approach yeah. to it. Um, but what I will say, I mean, I'll agree completely with Chris that like. I think it's healthy to not listen to music. Amen. Because <laughs> if you if you can conserve that energy, then you are better equipped to listen intently when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Like when you're when you're actually required to do the work. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, I would so much rather be able to carve out like especially, you know, when I'm looking for like new big band music and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I I would love to my ideal is to carve out an hour of my day and say this hour is about encountering new music, mm-hmm. and then I have the energy, the brain power, mm-hmm. etc., to to oh, yeah. actually give the music what it deserves. So my intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enough. it reminds me of the other day. Well, I don't know, a few weeks ago, the, like the jazz memes Instagram account mm-hmm. had some meme where it was like that feeling when like you've been hanging out with non-jazz musicians listening to like pop or rock music and you get back into your car and turn on jazz. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like that like after wedding gigs oh, yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, I'll get into the car and I'll just turn on some Coltrane and it is so like a feeling of relief washes over cleansing. me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really, yeah, it truly yeah. is cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. Love Supreme. Yeah. Just the Coltrane so, cleanse. Yeah. Yeah. Coltrane <laughs> cleanse. Yeah. For nine ninety five. Oh, man. It'll clean you right out. Yeah. Yeah. The, like, I, I don't listen to it in my car much anymore um, because, partially because, like, it, my focus goes so much to it that it's a hazard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> When I was when I was eighteen, you just start like. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I was eighteen, um, I had Woody Shaw "Stepping Stones" on, um, mm-hmm. and it was the track where Woody and Carter Jefferson are just going back and forth trading on the title track, and I was just like, and all of a sudden a car went in front of me, and I had to swerve, and I popped a tire on a medium <laughs> listening to <laughs> Woody Shaw. <laughs> so, so that's that, the most that, jazz that, musician <laughs> shit I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> imagining Woody Shaw up in heaven looking at that and just like a single tear comes yeah. to his eye. I got to tell Victor Lewis that in person. I told him that story. I told, that, was, that was a trip. I when, Victor when Victor, yeah, he loved it. it. Yeah. Oh, but like, I, that, that's an extreme, that hasn't happened since, but, but like, <laughs> yeah, my car, I'll put podcasts and stuff, but like when I'm at home, I, I, I really do like, I don't know, it's like a cleanse or something like, like from what the other shit I'm doing just to like sit down and listen to something. Um, oh, yeah. that's kind of, but yeah, 
Don't listen to that while you're driving on <laughs> Harrison Street in Omaha. <laughs> it's probably it's probably a little bit more difficult with a, like a very non-musician spouse, you know. Like if <laughs> I've told this story before, if if, Gi- if Giant Steps comes on, she like turns off the radio. <laughs> she, like, she does not half the stuff we listen that we check out. She's like, "This is so stressful. How are you guys listening to it?" Like, like I'm like, I'm like, heard. my blood pressure is like up. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, that's in that's interesting because like, isn't Carrie the kind of person that like we're always trying to get at? You know, like, like, isn't she the kind of person that we want to actually become into, like, the Storm Cellar and the Jewel and Art and Soul? Yeah. I mean, but I she, guess. But she, in, like, in what way? Well, like, I <laughs> that mean, she's, she's a good hang? No, he means, like, the like expanding the audience. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like she's, she she loves, open-minded. like. open-minded. She mm-hmm. is, I, I dare say it, upper middle class. She has disposable income. She draws well. community around her, like like mm. she's the kind of person she wants that we want to get Absolutely. in the audience, and and she doesn't want to listen to Giant Steps. <laughs> I feel no. like there's something in there. Mm. What's that jam band? She loves some jam band that always has Joshua Redman sit in with them. Medeski Martin and Wood. No, m- more like Mart- actual oh. mainstreamy. I can't remember. Redman sits in with them. Yeah, Josh Redman oh. sits in with them. Interesting. And she loves that, mm. and she loves like. She used to be like, you know, very music festival or whatever. So like some of the jazz, like she really digs. Like when I, when, when I turn on like, I don't know, some Robert Glasper, she loves like lo-fi, you know, like the lo-fi jazz girl on YouTube or whatever. She'll just turn that on for like eight hours straight. Oh, oh, like the girl with the cat. Yeah. The girl with the, yeah. Yeah. Doing her homework always. Yeah. And so like she loves. I love watching someone do their homework. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Was that was that you the other night at my window? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so I mean you're getting a, a whole can of worms now of like are we training musicians to play music that people actually like? Oh yikes. <laughs> oh, I love that conversation. Yeah. That's see that's why I have that's episode like, two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but like it's crazy. Well, we're going into it now because you already started. Yep. You already started out. <laughs> I have no time limits. I'll just cut it at an hour. So <laughs> and add up, split it up. I got I got real thoughts on this, so be careful. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> go first, please. Can I go first? Yeah, absolutely. Go. Yeah, Chris is looking at his phone. He didn't care. <laughs> um, I don't think it matters nearly as much what we play, mm-hmm. um, as much as it is. As much as it does, the type of community spirit we cultivate around it, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a huge part of the reason that jazz struggles in record sales because there is, by definition, no community in a record. You know, um, I, I do think that you can find a sense of community in listening to a record, and I actually think that that's something Robert Glasper does real well. Yeah, is is create a recorded environment that's like an invitation to community i don't really think that was the point of of giant steps like but like i i think we get so and i mean it in the context of classical music where mm-hmm. i work frequently and in the context of jazz where mm-hmm. i work frequently we obsess about whether we're writing tonal music atonal music whether we're playing bebop or whether we're, you know, doing, you know, the the nouveau hip hop 
stuff. Like mm-hmm. we obsess about what the relationship between aesthetic and audience is. And I tend to think the relationship between aesthetic and audience is no relationship. I tend to think that the most important thing for cultivating an audience is can the performance space be an invitation to community? And that manifests, I think, in a couple ways. It manifests in like these sort of intangibles like vibe and mm-hmm. and and openness and and you know relationship between the audience and the performers in terms of space. Yeah. But it also manifests in stuff like um, how much are ticket sales? Is there parking? Is mm-hmm. there childcare? Yeah. You know, like those things I think are so much more important to audience growth in any context than the actual notes that we're playing. And I think to get to your point, Janik, like I do think that something that we don't do well is convince people that there has to be a reason for people to come hear them make music mm-hmm. other than they're really, really good at making music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, there has to be some other Oof. reason mm-hmm. for, like there has to be some other benefit mm-hmm. to making the sacrifice of time, energy, and money to attend a performance. And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be tangible, but it's got to be something. And usually mm-hmm. that thing, I think the reason that people come to performances generally mm-hmm. is to seek and achieve a greater sense of community, particularly with people that they otherwise wouldn't be in community with. Yeah. I think that's one of the great powers that we have as artists mm-hmm. is to cultivate those kinds of environments. But we don't teach people, I think, to value that mm-hmm. as well as we could. No, we, va- we, we value the virtuosity. We value mm-hmm. the, yeah, yeah. The technical proficiency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's crazy, too, because you say, you say that, and I think about just the number of musicians that will, like, out of jealousy or what have you, listen to someone that technically isn't as proficient as they are and be like, why are they getting all these records? Why are they on the radio? Why are they doing all this sort of stuff? And it's like, well, they managed to do just that. They managed to like connect with the people and make some form of community out of it, mm-hmm. you know, rather than like go, well, I'm going to be super crazy because like any, any individual, regardless of how good or bad they are when they start, right. They can always get better, you know, so their skill level isn't necessarily what people care about most of the time. Like if you're in a, if we're in a space and I'm trying to pretend like I know every standard or something. And so I'll call a tune. I don't know. Y'all be like, you're stupid. Have fun. Peace out. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like, that's me not staying in my lane, relatively speaking, and really mm-hmm. focusing on the important thing of like, if I come in and I'm not pretending like I know all this sort of stuff. Right. And I come in yeah. like just trying to connect. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like that's appreciated no matter what level like you're at of, if I'm trying to sit in on a, with a band or if I'm just trying to reach out to other people that don't necessarily know as much about like a type of music or a style or whatever it is, but I'm trying to connect musically with them, trying to form that community, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's something that people appreciate so very much. And like you said, it's not really well expressed or like shown because we're always focused on how perfectly can we learn this or how like, how much yeah. do we know? What it, what's all that sort of stuff? Well, and I think I think more distilled, like we just we don't treat it as a skill. Mm-hmm. We don't treat community building in artists as something that needs to be learned and cultivated. In, in yeah. fact, it might be like discouraged because you yeah. should be on a pedestal as this high artist uh, 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 that don't worry about any of that. Like yeah. I oh, worry yeah. about my art only. Like, well, imagine like every yeah. every con- every combo concert that you've ever had to like be involved with, and it's like okay. 
who's going to like front the band, who's going to talk. And everybody's like, no, not me. Yep. No, mm-hmm. I want no part of that. I want yeah. no part of like connecting with the audience yeah. or whatever. And like, you and know, again, like if you're not equipped, I feel like it's understandable. Oh yeah. Like if you're, if you're not trained to do that and to value that, um, I get why you wouldn't want to do it. Well, of, of course, but it's like, but that's that, that what you need. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. 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 So it's, I mean, like I was, I think about every time I play a malpractice gig, it's not musically, you know, just amazing or anything. Sure. Right. But it packs the house every time. Oh, Hundred, hundreds of people come because they connect with the people in the band, yeah, you know, 100%. and the that experience energy. that they're having. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And the, and the energy and everybody's like having fun. Mm-hmm. And so many times jazz gigs, uh, unfortunately, are not always like that. Yeah. You know, sometimes they are, you know, and the, and the musicians are having a great time and connecting with the audience. And probably more often than not, like, vocalists are really great at that, right? Yeah. And, you know, instrumentalists many times, like, gripe about, oh, playing with a singer and calling all these tunes in terrible keys and terrible, right. terrible tempos and, you know, yeah. softly and in F sharp at 400. Right. <laughs> right, right. That's Which probably, I, I mean, wait, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I mean, just kidding, Jody. So, so up until like approximately 14 hours ago, uh, Janik and I played together in the Nebraska Latin All-Stars, um, which is a really great, um, what would you call it? An Afro-Cuban jazz fusion kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, not it's a, just a, a salsa band. There's there's some serious jazz elements. There are some it. Yeah. serious mm-hmm. jazz elements, um, but it attracts a very heavy salsa crowd, mm-hmm. right? It attracts a, a lot of Latinos. It attracts a lot of dancers, like people who like the music that they love is salsa. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they come out and like within the act, there's a ton of space for solos and like you know. Half the time on the gig, like right before Janik plays his solo, I'll turn to him and be like, okay, I'm going to hear Mark Turner tonight, right? <laughs> like I'm going to hear fourth stacks for days. And, and sometimes that happens. Yeah, like half the time he just goes for it. And, yeah. you know, he'll play for, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes. Mm-hmm. And nothing stops. The dancing doesn't stop. People are paying attention. They're into it. Mm -hmm. And like half the time he'll get applause. And this is not a jazz crowd that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, this is not the vanguard. It's Mm -hmm. it's either like a dance club or often it's an outdoor gig. The Iowa State Fair last night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Iowa State Fair. And that audience was great. Uh And they had a great time. And like I feel like that's a testament to what we're talking about, where it's like it's not about Mm-hmm. The language, it's not about the... the it's about feeling good. Mm-hmm. It's about feeling good, and oh, it's yeah. about creating yeah. a community around the music. Well, and one thing that that band in particular does well is that it is very complicated music mm-hmm. that, that the musicians have to really, like, you know, we got to shed, we got to make sure we have this, but it also, like, comes across as danceable and accessible, yeah. accessible mm-hmm. even though... Yeah. Like some of those horn parts are some of the more complicated like horn yep. parts I've had to play. Yep. Like you know, like, but it comes off. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a really good example. It of reminds game. me yeah. of that Chappelle show skit with John Mayer. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Questlove. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I feel like that. By the way, is like maybe fifty percent just vibe. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like the mm-hmm. singers are always reaching out to the crowd. They're always yep. like talking yep. to people yep. in the audience. Yep. Occasionally they'll bring, you know, people on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dance whole contest. gig, the band is, you know, I'm, I'm a stage dancer, uh, mm-hmm. So like I'm I'm doing my terrible white boy dance, and, yeah, you know. Um, but like you know the whole band has smiles on their faces, and like there's very ke- there's very clearly and very ostensibly a sincere love for the music happening on stage, mm-hmm. and and I think that thing mm-hmm. does so much for accessibility beyond the mm-hmm. fact that like all the music is danceable, all the music is mm-hmm. in four four, all the music's tonal melodic, mm-hmm. whatever you want to say about it. Mm-hmm. I think like the thing mm-hmm. is. More than that, the thing is the vibe and mm-hmm. and the the tacit message that the music itself is an invitation to like be here with us. How do you convey that then? In a because I'm thinking like if I'm singing a recital, <laughs> the word recital alone mm-hmm. like already puts you at such a well pe- not that people aren't supposed to woo people aren't supposed to dance man exactly like what are you supposed to do about that if that's like like i i have strongly fought the idea of like for any of the recitals that i have to do mm-hmm. like that they're boring right but the word recital in of itself invites that right <laughs> the just I mean, you just got to you got to know your audience, right? Exactly. You, gotta you gotta, find like, your you target gotta, market. Yeah, God, right. <laughs> Out of the four people that show up, yeah. like, uh, yeah. <laughs> but like that in of itself doesn't really invite any sort of crowd or anything like that. Like yeah. the largest recital like presence I've seen didn't even come close to even half packing sure. the space, right? So it's like, how do we convey that idea, especially for music that we still like? Right, that we find valuable, that we say we enjoy at least, but yeah. somehow we're not giving that vibe out. I mean, I, I, I got sometimes. I got several thoughts on this, but I'll yield because I talk a lot. No, please. I mean, a recital is different than a gig at a club. That's like true. it just is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, some people. You know, like sometimes now those lines are being blurred occasionally like you know like well nobody's giving a a, re, a doctoral recital, recital at the loading dock yeah. yeah you know what i mean yeah. so like yes yeah like, I, I mean one one person did try to give a doctoral recital at the zoo bar and it, it did not go well yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> did they pass out the papers too, to uh, too? actually that was part of the problem oh uh, yikes well, yep. uh, yuck yep. anyway i digress <laughs> no no i mean i i <laughs> No, but no, I'll let you go, man. All right, well, I'll let you go on. I just love the idea of at Zubar just here. Mm. This is to fulfill a degree credit. (laughs) Take a take a little read while you're. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's 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 funny. It also, I think, kind of highlights some some problems that are maybe worth worth discussing at another mm-hmm. time um but yeah so so a couple things um number one i feel like you um you know we have we have to embrace the idea that four people is still a meaningful group of people yeah um like ultimately what do we want do we want butts in the seats or do we want to create community i mean if the if the idea ultimately is that we want to create community well communities exist in scale, mm-hmm. right? They can exist in groups of four. They can exist in groups of 400,000. Mm-hmm. 
Um, both of those are valid in their own way. Both of those are meaningful in their own yeah. way. And if we embrace that and we, as artists, develop the ability to talk to communities of various scales, then we're best equipped to actually affect some sort of change in yeah. the world. Um, that's one. Uh, you know, like teacher to student, I think the thing that I would tell you about your recital crowd is you have the misfortune of being at a school where there's tons of music happening and everybody's got limited time resources. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you don't take it personally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but like to drill down to like, okay, how do we make the recital environment meaningful? Um, I don't think we need to overcomplicate things. I think everybody ultimately wants the same thing. Anytime they go to a music show of any kind, mm -hmm. they want to know what the music's about and they want to know how it can enrich their experience. Yeah. And, and like, so how do we make that happen in the context of the recital paradigm? I mean, part of it, I think, is by talking. Mm -hmm. Part of it, I think, is by removing some of the invisible barriers between audience and performer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this can, I think, manifest in many ways. I, I love recitals that exist in intimate settings where you know i'm here and you're there and the piano is there mm -hmm. and and i you know you can like between between songs you can like actually look at me and be like okay this is what's happening now yeah you know um rather than you're on the stage i'm at minimum 15 feet away from you mm -hmm. across the hypotenuse of the triangle yeah um and and there's you know there's not a guarantee that you can even see my face beyond the stage lights yeah um, there's that, there's also, you know, stuff like, um, if I, to be blunt about it, like if I got a beer in my hand, I immediately feel more at ease mm -hmm. and I immediately feel more like, I mean, well, not, that's because you're a lush. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah tr try to hold on to this until after my tenure letter comes uh, in. Sure. I'll do my best, but no commitments. <laughs> But you know, like, like, mm -hmm. like more, more. What I'm getting at, I think, with that is, um, you know, it's 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 not. It's hardly like hip and new mm -hmm. to crap on the concert music performance paradigm. Yeah, like I feel like that's that's something that people have pretty much done. Yeah, um, everybody recognizes it's got problems. Everybody recognizes it works against what we're trying to accomplish in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that one of the easiest possible solutions to a problem is to remove the expectation that the role of a concert goer is to sit and absorb, that the role of the concert goer can be as a meaningful participant in community. Yeah, and yeah. like, guess what? Every single community, like every single natural community in the entire world bases in a tremendous amount of its community practice around food and drink. Mm -hmm. So like if we can welcome those elements of it to the concert paradigm, mm -hmm. suddenly we are already working with a better deck. Yeah. This is like a pitch for musical Shark Tank. I love it. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. there's, there's two things that I kind I'd of I'd like to invest. I, I've given it before, yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> there's two things I kind of thought about with that. First of all, the food and drink. Well, well we have receptions afterwards, like sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if we had a pre-reception where like, okay, like just, just imagine instead mm -hmm. of a reception afterwards where everybody comes to you and says like, mm -hmm. oh, you, you sing so good. 
Oh, so thanks. good. <laughs> like, pre- imagine if instead we had a pre-reception mm-hmm. where you d- hosted a Q&A about Vinteresa for an hour. Mm. We're, we're a half hour. Yeah. And everybody's got, you know, a, a glass of wine and uh, an Oreo or mm. whatever. Yeah, and now like that's, that's a combo. That's right? the pairing. That's the yeah. real combo. Yeah. <laughs> that's the p- Some nice notes, and, and it's still not like the paradigm that I would choose necessarily. Mm-hmm. But like, just as an academic exercise, like, how does that change the concert experience? Yeah, moving it to the front instead of the back. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I love that idea personally, but I'm also like, I would love to eat during and before anytime, mm-hmm. waiting to eat, mm-hmm. knowing there's food that's going to show up. Come on now, yeah. <laughs> Because no. it seems like a reward for mm-hmm. fi- for getting through, you know, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than like, this is all part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. which isn't even a bad thing. Right. Yeah. Like it's a recognition that it's hard to take part in an artistic experience. It's emotionally taxing to mm-hmm. be in the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're doing your job right, it's emotionally taxing oh, yeah. to be mm-hmm. a part of an artistic exercise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a spectator or as a performer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Yeah, the the Omaha Under the Radar Festival does a pretty good job at the, this kind of... Yeah, so you just worked with them. Yeah. So yeah. what was that like? I mean, one nice thing is, like, I was wearing jeans and a shirt, like, mm-hmm. and we were in a room, and David Hawkins and I improvised for 40 minutes. You looked like a guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, like... Love it. They, You know, people could bring in, like... What, like people were just like drinking i don't think they had booze there but you know just like bring a drink with you and like sit in the audience and it would a lot of the pretension was was gone even though mm-hmm. it was some mm-hmm. some weird stuff to the you know untrained ear like yeah. i was screaming in my horn for a while like mm-hmm. david was banging on pots and pans like but the audience was pretty transfixed because there was just a level of approachability about it yeah. it wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't you know we didn't go up there we will be improvising for the next 40 minutes. Please, you know, hold your applause, you know, like yeah. all that <laughs> kind of press. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like it, it was just a thing that happened. Yeah. And um, th- removing some of the pretension, like it was still a really heavy artistic experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and it, it seemed to connect really well. And, and granted, like the people who are going to seek that out or maybe a little more, you know, trained musically or experienced with like experimental music if they're going to go to that. But yeah. mm-hmm. it still was, a, you know, the next day we did a couple like pieces in the Koneko Art Gallery right before it flooded uh, <laughs> that night. Yikes. But, uh, and like we just like set up a cr- in the middle of all like there's stuff on the wall, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's art around us. We just played and people just sat in the gallery and chilled. Like mm-hmm. yeah. it, there, it was, it was just a full experience and it wasn't, yeah, it was still heavy. It was still experimental, but the, it, just some of the pretension was gone. Yeah. If that, yeah. if that makes sense. Well, I mean, just think about like when jazz was the dominant popular music, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, like going to a club and hearing the announcement of like no recording mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. like people are just drinking and eating and having a good time and dancing. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah. and if music is happening, like, it just kind of adds to the experience and exactly yeah. what you're talking about, community building. Mm-hmm. And like with the like, you know, advent of academic jazz or like that mm-hmm. kind of outstripping what mm-hmm. it originally was, like it just kind of, we've sucked all of that life out of it. Yeah. You know, and the recital mm-hmm. is, you know, 
that's like the, so, the pinnacle of soul sucking. Yeah. So what's the recital supposed to be then? Oh, <laughs> what's it supposed to be then? Is it supposed to emulate a real performance, a real community building environment? I mean, all of these or, are real performances. Well, yes, though, but right? like, yeah. Well, but I, I mean, mean like, it depends, right? Because like mm -hmm. our doctoral recitals, right? Those are things that we're obligated to do yeah. for our committee, right? Yeah. But And that's different than like the faculty jazz recital, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of mm -hmm. people want to come and hear that. Yeah. But when you're just inundating people with recitals, you know, that mm -hmm. you are obligated to do and don't even necessarily want to do, yeah. then that's just like a, a different thing. But I mean, if you put on a recital this summer, you know, mm -hmm. stuff that you were really passionate about yeah. and were working on for a long time and said, you know, like, hey, I really want to connect with people and I want to like, I, you know, I want you to learn more about this and I want to showcase what I've been working on. Mm -hmm. That's going to compel me much more to, to come out food or drink or not. Yeah. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Rather than, Oh, here's Daniel's like third doctoral recital. Come out and support mm -hmm. the cause. Yeah. yeah, like that's. I don't know. I think of it as because I I really do see like that recital emulates perf like a real world type of performance in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Like especially with that intent being like you said, like that community. So, if not only did you have the recital where you have your food and drink beforehand and during, right, mm -hmm. but like. What if you just do it out on a lawn? What if you do it out on a wherever? Out aside from the zoo sure. bar because you just can't get the papers out. But like <laughs> <laughs> But like something along those lines, I think because honestly, if I were to suggest those ideas, I don't mm -hmm. think they would have they would necessarily be shut down per se. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, they're not even necessarily provided as options and no one necessarily thinks of them. And we don't branch out. I mean, not people don't always want to necessarily think and branch out to something that right. wasn't that hasn't been established. I mean, right? and it, it, it is. I feel like important to acknowledge that there are sacrifices associated with it. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you're you're gonna do a recital outside. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, there's it's gonna a, sound funky. There's a ton of upside to it, but mm -hmm. it's gonna sound funky. Yeah. The acoustics are gonna be weird, and uh, the pianist is gonna have to play an electric keyboard, yeah. which pianists generally don't like doing. Mm, hate it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like you have to get everybody to buy into those sacrifices. Exactly. Um, and it's understandable that like people would have to come around to them. Mm -hmm. That they're not gonna be like, sure, give me a Casio. Yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh it's twelve thirty. When you gotta leave? Forty, rather. I'm just saying like how long we go in here. Oh, however long we're we okay. want to go. I'm yeah. probably going to bounce here. Okay, I thought so. <laughs> yeah. I'm good to like one, yeah. probably. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. We can wrap it up pretty soon. All right. cool. But yeah, like doing that kind of a thing, like I think there's, like you said, there's merits to both sides of whatever it is that you're doing. I do agree, however, with what you said about like being 15 feet away on the top of a stage like a pedestal is like uh, not the most conducive to even emulating like a community building sort of environment mm -hmm. yeah. You know? yeah that's why i think like a lot of people preferred like in westbrook doing recitals in like 119 if they could because like it's closer it's mm -hmm. you can hear yourself like <laughs> like <laughs> like all that sort of thing it mm -hmm. automatically is more intimate sort of experience in place mm -hmm. yes um and like the reason you would have a larger performance space is because like more people want to come and so you need to fill that like you just need a larger space, right? Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I really like that more intimate kind of style of recital kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And, like, to get those stigmas and whatever, what have we, of 
the environment and like what the purpose is or whatever really reinforce like this is a community and not just say we're making community and then just do nothing to yeah. really do it you know and i mean you know some of these factors are obviously like beyond any of our individual control yeah. there's there's infrastructural challenges yeah 100 mm-hmm. you know? and one of my favorite things about doing my master's at northern illinois was that the guitar guy there for talk he owned like a coffee house bar venue cool. in mm. town it was called the house cafe mm. and they had sandwiches and small plates they had a, a coffee bar they had beer wine and liquor and they had a stage and they had you know like plenty of seating and you know art on the walls and they hosted like yoga during the days and like all that that kind of like community was yeah. kind of like built into the venue yeah and so then everybody that you know was having a recital or a performance or like all the jazz combos like they had an instantly built in venue into the school where people wanted to come because they knew it was going to be a hang right they knew there was going to be community there Mm -hmm. and it wasn't going to be just stuffy come and get a program and and sit you know and Mm -hmm. not hear any just you know music no talking and then you you Mm -hmm. walk out of the venue and so it's kind of like you know Mm to we have to like adapt and evolve or die. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it'll, it'll come to a head, you know, as the changing of the guard sort of happens, but yeah. 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 So, so yeah, that's the prescription is Greg go buy a venue. Yeah. Sounds good. That's on you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, like a liquor license, (laughs) the the royalties from this podcast. That's fair. Hicks and Lee Brent though is what I heard. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to buy Crescent Moon. (laughs) 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 have your you write that in and i will just die (laughs) vape shots for everyone at your recital oh my oh my goodness that's That's the new model man yeah yeah Yeah, man turn it upside down (laughs) well i guess we can wrap that up from from this that was that was sick that was rad yeah yeah a good time to chat of course there's always more to talk about but that was a good time. Well, we'll do this again sometime. Mm-hmm. Straight up. Janik's yeah. got to come back from Greeley at some point. Yeah, I'll be, I'll yeah. be, I'll be around. Yeah, that'll yeah. be sick. Mm-hmm. Well, good stuff. That was thanks, the podcast thanks for, for sure. Yeah, thanks oh, for no, thanks Dan. for coming. This yep. was, this was awesome. And now, like, you're the first to have like the actual more or less finished studio. Yeah. I just put those up on the Pod wall cave. like Friday. Cool. This looks that's good. Right. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's that. Let me stop Cue. recording. Cue exit music. Do 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 do